0: Great. Well, it's um, good to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. And you may think the story's finished now the wall is built. (laughs) But we're only in chapter 8, and we've got a few more chapters to go. So today we're looking at chapters 7 and 8. And let me remind you that this is a real story. This happened in history. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Persian king, Artaxerxes, God called him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, his home city, which had been destroyed for some reason we don't quite know. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, he marshals the people, he gathers them together, and in 52 days, they build a wall of protection around the city of Jerusalem. This happened in 445 BC. And what we're dealing with is a real wall and a real set of people. Here's the wall. It can still be seen, at least in part, in Jerusalem. And in chapter 6, verse 15 of Nehemiah, it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul. That's the 2nd of October, 445 BC, in 52 days. We've mentioned in passing some of the opponents that Nehemiah while he was building the wall. And we have evidence for these people, well, at least two of them. They're not figments of someone's imagination, they are real people. Here's an inscription, or um, a mention on papyrus from Egypt of Sambalat, one of Nehemiah's opponents. And there's another one that we know about, Geshem. Well, it's actually a dedicated bowl to his. F- um, father, Kainu, son of Geshem, also from Egypt. But it shows us that these are real people, and this is a real story rooted in history that we're going to read today. So let's read the story from Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 73. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, that's the 8th of October, 445 BC, so only four days after the wall had been finished, Ezra the priest brought the brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced uh, faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mathithia, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maaseiah, and on his left, Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. God bless them all. <laughs> Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him before, because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shepethi, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, God bless them all, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving meaning so the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, And the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy some choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who Um, Where are we? Sorry. Who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout the towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive trees and wild olive trees from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter eight today. As we've just said, the wall had been built, but that is not the end of the story. It says at the beginning when the Israelites had settled in their towns. Now that the wall was built, there was a point of refuge, a place of security that the Israelites could go to if they needed. If there was an attack and they weren't too far away from Jerusalem, they could go into Jerusalem's walls and be safe. It's when the wall is built that the law is read. Now, you're often asked the question, when people have a great trauma, are they more open or less open to hear the word of God? And I would say generally they're less open because their minds are not on what God is saying. And that may be true to the people in Turkey at this moment. When there's security, then I think there is the opportunity to declare The word of God. And I think this is what we see in this passage. So they built the wall. Four days later, the people gather. And it comes from the people that they want to hear the word of the Lord. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Ezra was someone they respected. They realized that he was someone who knew about this law that Moses had written all those years ago. And Ezra would be the one who would make it clear to them. So we read here that Ezra is called a teacher of the law, And he's also called a priest. He reads the law out loud in the assembly of the people. The assembly is made up of men and women and all who were able to understand, which presumably is the children. He reads it out loud from daybreak until noon. If you think what I'm going to say is long Well, it's about 12 times the length of what I'm saying today. This was about six hours of listening to God's word being read. And Ezra apparently did the whole thing. And the people listened attentively, as it says here, to the book of the law. Now, to make this easier... Ezra stands on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And he's surrounded by these 13 people, whose names I won't repeat again. The word that's used actually is a tower, a wooden tower. So he's elevated above the people. Now, I don't think Ezra is elevating himself. He's elevating the word of God that he is giving to the people. Now, we do have this tradition in certain types of Christianity anyway of building pulpits for preachers. But I would say we don't really build them for the preachers. We don't put the preachers on the pedestal. If we put anything on the pedestal, if we elevate anything, it should be the word of God. So, to start with, Ezra Opens the book. Now, this is a scroll. He has to find the right place. It's not the easiest thing because you have to wind and unwind till you get to the right place. But he does open the book, and we're never going to hear God through his Bible unless we open it in whatever form that may take. The people stand up. I'm not requiring you to stand up for the next 20 minutes. But that was their response. And they um, listen, standing up, so it seems. Ezra praised the Lord. And the people respond by bowing down, worshipping the Lord with their faces to the ground. I don't think we see much of that today. But... It may not just have been Ezra doing this. It says later on, the Levites instructed the people in the law. So there's a sort of proclamation from the wooden platform at the top, and then on the ground, the Levites go around and instruct the people further while they're standing there. It says they read from the book of the law, making it clear. It may be that the people... Um, didn't really understand the law because they were speaking Aramaic and the law was written in Hebrew. So it may be an issue of translation, making it clear from one language to another, or even if they did understand Hebrew, it still needed to be made clear. The important thing was that the people understood what was being read, and that seems to have been the result. So, it says, Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all. There's a joint um, proclamation of this truth and there's an effect on the people They start weeping as they hear God's word being read. Now, we shouldn't be afraid of some kind of emotional response. We don't necessarily um, expect it, but if it happens, we should not squash it because if it is really God's spirit ministering to people, then we should let that happen. Nehemiah says, don't grieve and enjoy the choice food and sweet drinks. They must have got a bit um, exhausted standing up for six hours. And it's always good to remember that we are human beings who need uh, physical as well as spiritual food. And this seems to have been the plan. The people were sustained with um, nice things to eat and drink. And um, the important thing... Here is that um, they're told, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is a verse that's often quoted out of context, but it comes from the people's response to the word of God. When we hear the word of God, are we joyous? Do we know what it is to have the joy of the Lord as our strength through hearing the word of God. Then it says, the people now understood the words that have been made known to them. So the whole exercise seems to have been successful. There was a transfer of the word of God written on the page into the hearts of the people who were listening to it. And they go through the whole thing again the next day, second day of the month. Ezra gathers round uh, the people and they hear the word of God again. And they read about a festival. It's the seventh month. They're in the seventh month. So, Their natural response is, yeah, let's celebrate this festival. They get trees from the countryside around and they make shelters. And it says their joy was great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. So it seems it was like a Bible week, uh, six, seven, eight days of teaching from the Word of God. Their joy was great, it says. It was a program, uh, presumably regularly, same time, same place, and it was systematic. There was a definite plan to what was being taught. They celebrated the festival for seven days and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So that's the story. How do we respond to this um, passage that has just been explained to us? Well, I think we respond differently from how they did. We don't have to wait for October and build a shelter on our roof. Most of us would find that very dangerous anyway. We don't have the flat roofs that they had. Um, We don't need to scour the countryside and take every bit of foliage to put in our house. If we want to do this, I think we're fine. Um, Paul says that we are free to celebrate festivals. There's no... Um, command to do them, or there's no command not to do them in the New Testament. Would another response to be to read the Bible out loud? Well, that's a good thing. Does anyone know how long it would take to read the Bible out loud? 70 hours and 40 minutes. Now, I do know of a church that did it. They didn't do it in one go, but they had a... Um, a slot in their building for several hours each day when people signed up and they read for an hour at a time. And that's a good thing. Um, But again, that's not really what um, our response should be. So how do we look at this passage? Well, I believe that we look at this passage in the light of the New Testament. And what Paul says to Timothy... I think, gives us a clue as to how we should respond. Paul says in 1 Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. So there are three things that I think all connect together. Public reading of Scripture, preaching or exhortation, that's a more literal um, version of the Greek word there, And to teaching. And we see these three things in the ministry and the life of Jesus and Paul. So we're going to have a look first of all at Jesus. So we read in Luke's Gospel Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So in the um, passage that I've just read, there are two words that are used in the Greek original for proclaiming. Uh, The first one is uangelizo, which means to proclaim the good news, to evangelize. And the second one is a more general word just to proclaim, keruso, which is used of heralds going into a city and declaring what the king says to people that they should do. Jesus, um, interestingly, stands up to read and the scroll is handed to him. So they're definite um, echoes of the passage that we've just looked at in Ezra. Well, what did Jesus preach? Well, we have several... um, Passages which help us to answer that question. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So Jesus was a preacher, and I um, gave the game away a little bit earlier, but I should have said, what did Jesus preach. Um, he also taught uh, and we have this passage here. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Then Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put, him, put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So, from the mountain, from the hill, and from the boat, Jesus taught. And he taught as one who had authority. Not as the teachers of the law, Matthew says. So, that's Jesus. What about Paul? Paul says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Here Paul is addressing some elders from the church in Ephesus. The words he uses for preach is another word, an angelo, which basically means to be an angel, to be a messenger. And then there's the normal word in Greek, didasko, which means to teach. What did Paul preach? Well, Paul preached the gospel. It was always... Be my ambition, he says, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And he says, we preach Christ crucified. The message of the gospel all stems, about, all stems from a saviour, a messiah, who died, who was crucified for us. And Paul says, I've not hesitated to proclaim to you, this is one of the other words here, the whole will of God. So you may be asking, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? Well, I think primarily teaching is informing the mind, and proclamation is sorry, preaching is proclamation, engaging the heart. Preaching demands some kind of response. And we need to preach the gospel. We need to preach Christ crucified, his death being the only means by which we can be saved. And we need to proclaim the whole will of God which basically means everything that has been revealed to us in the Bible. Now, you may be shocked to hear that there are only 63 books in the Bible. If you want to know why, you can come and see me afterwards. But whether it's 63 or the traditional 66, we do need to be aware of them all. We shouldn't reduce God's Word to 64 pages like a magazine. There's much more in the scriptures than uh, we generally tap into. And we have to be careful when we're handling the Word of God. It's important we realise that it is the Word of God that we're preaching. It's not for us to bring our own ideas and speculations On that, unless we make it clear that that is what we are doing, I think we have to let Scripture speak for itself. God has revealed Himself in a in His Word so that we can understand him. Now, there are passages in the Bible, I grant, that are very difficult to understand, but generally speaking, they are accessible to us, and we should let God speak to us through his word. Now, I also believe that uh, all scripture is inspired by God. So there are things in the, w- in the word that are perhaps there at a deeper level, more of a, at a hidden meaning level, And we should not um, despise these things. There are lots of things that we can dig up from um, serious study of the word. But primarily, we have to let Scripture speak to us at a basic and simple, straightforward level. And also, the way we listen and process Scripture is important. We need to give time to it. We shouldn't be like butterflies flying from one flower to another, just taking a little bit here and there. We need to be like bees who put their um, whole body on the flower and extract the nectar uh, and get a full supply. So, quiz time. This country, England, Scotland and Wales particularly, and their representatives coming from each of those countries in this little quiz has been profoundly impacted by the preaching of the word. So, who is our first person? Anyone there? There's actually a clue if you listen carefully. It's John Knox. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't think any of us were alive when he was around. Um, but yes, John Knox's preaching in Scotland basically um, laid the foundation for Scotland being a Protestant and a Christian country. And um, yeah, his influence even today is profound. So second one. John Wesley, yes. Now, um, what did John Wesley do? What's distinctive about John Wesley? He rode all over the country. Do you know how many miles he's supposed to have covered? No, a quarter of a million miles. And this is on horseback. Um, this is before trains or anything. And as he would ride, he would prepare his sermons. And, you know, it's amazing, this man, what he did. He'd read books as he rode around on his horse right across these islands. Um, yeah. There we go. Third person. Spurgeon, that's right. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, We have nearly 3,600 sermons of his preserved. People would sit in the congregation, apparently, and write them out frantically in shorthand, which is an amazing um, provision that we have. The church that he uh, established, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, seated up to 5,000 people. And on one occasion, he spoke to 23,000, and this was in the days before microphones. Um, Spurgeon does say that, that, he, that he's very grateful to the Lord for giving him a good pair of lungs. Finally, who's this man? Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yes, I was privileged to hear him as a small boy. So um, there we go. Um, He didn't preach as much as Spurgeon, but um, we do have 1,600 of his sermons that have been recorded. This is in the days now of recording. Uh, Yeah, a profound um, teacher of God's word. So the challenge to us, I think, is... um, to be addressed in several different ways. First question really is, are we under the word of God? We may not have a huge pulpit, I don't think that matters, but are we metaphorically under God's word as it is given to us each day as we gather together and as we read it ourselves privately? Now, we do have the opportunity to listen to many people outside our church from the internet. And I would say that there is a lot of good stuff out there. You um, can really benefit from um, preaching that's available on the internet. But I would also um, highlight some of the dangers. There is a lot of rubbish out there, there's a lot of dangerous rubbish out there, there's heresy. And we need to be aware that we could be deceived. There's a lot of new age stuff slipping in, even occult. There's alternative sexualities that are being um, slipped in, and we need to be careful. And some people just promote themselves and their ministry. And as I said before, those are the sort of people that we need to be very wary of. But I think there are five responses that we can make um, as we go back to the passage from from Nehemiah. First of all, we need to listen attentively as the people did in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. We shouldn't be afraid of some kind of emotional response. The people wept and Maybe that would be appropriate for some of us if we're really profoundly impacted by what God says to us through his word. And the opposite could also be true, joy. Let's not stifle the joy that we may feel as we hear God's word being spoken to us. Remember that the joy of the Lord coming from the word of God is our strength. Obedience, that was how the people responded. They went up and they celebrated this festival, probably not appropriate for us to do, but they still responded according to what they'd heard. And they had an enthusiasm to hear the word of God, which is what I wrote on the, or had written on the board outside. They say, bring out the book of the law. And the question, the challenge to all of us is, do we desire God's word to be proclaimed, to be taught, to be um, preached to us? So, let's leave it there. But I think it's important that we hear what God is saying to us through this passage we do need to embed the taught and the preached word of God into our own lives and into the lives and into the life of this church. And I believe if we do this, we will see significant numerical growth in our numbers. Now many have prayed over the centuries that through the preaching of the word there would be a greater increase in the Um, and growth in the church. And I want to um, leave you with two things. The first is what um, Charles Spurgeon said. It's a prayer. I'm going to read it to you. And um, after that, we're going to sing a song from the 80s. Um, It gives my age away, doesn't it? But Graham Kendrick, one of my heroes, um, maybe not sung so many times today, but Shine, Jesus, Shine. Shine. I think is a very powerful expression of what um, Charles Spurgeon said in his prayer. So let me pray this and then we'll move into Shine Jesus Shine. I'm sorry about the language, it's a bit archaic, but I think we can understand what he's saying. O Spirit of God, bring back thy church to a belief in the gospel. Bring back her ministers to preach it once again with the Holy Ghost and not striving after wit and learning. Then shall we see thine arm made bare, O God, in the eyes of all the people, and the myriad shall be brought to rally round the throne of God and the Lamb. The gospel must succeed. It shall succeed. It cannot be prevented from succeeding. A great multitude that no man can number must be saved. Amen.